Hello and welcome to Yerushalmi Peah, Daf Yud Zion. I want to take a global approach today. I'm going to talk about a specific Gemara, but I really want to talk about the Yerushalmi's formation, as well as Rabbi Yochanan ben Nafcha, the author or the redactor of some or most of Yerushalmi. Okay? So let me just go through it very quickly. The, the Gemara here is talking about um, whether when it comes to Peah, we talked about how you have to take off Peah from each field individually, and if you have a large field, that's fine. You could take off Peah for that large field. We spoke about this yesterday, but if you have two fields in different locations, and you could only take off Peah from each field individually, and you can't take off from one to the other because of other, re you know, we don't want you to trick the Aniyim, etc., etc., but we want the Aniyim to be able to come and say, this is a field. So the Gemara talks about what if um, you plant something in clusters, in kind of patches, but then you have a separation between those pa between those patches, and then you have other patches somewhere else. So it's actually a machlokas, and it's the same exact, it's, there's a similar machlokas regarding if somebody says my field is hefker, and is mafker large fields, but those fields are comprised of patches, whether being zoha in one makes you now the owner of everything, whether you have to be kona each one individually, and it's a huge machlokas in many, many ways. But the bottom line here is that um, the Bavli here, I'm sorry, let's start with Yerushalmi. Yerushalmi says, that a patch does not divide for peah, and that you could take off one for the other, and this is opinion of Rav Asi. Now, I just want to point out that the Bavli and Bava Basra duff, uh, where is it? Nun Hei Amin Aleph, has a dispute in the name of Ravin, in the name of Rav Yochanan, as to whether that is, and Rav Asi, Amar Rav Yochanan, what he holds. And I just want to say that Rav Yasa, who's quoted here, is the same person of Rav Asi in the Bavli, where there's different permutations of the names, but the Rosh Srilio, in his intro to Yerushalmi, and also the Agos Agrup, says this, that basically it's the same exact person. But the problem is that um, here, there's a machlokas between Bavli and Yerushalmi. The Bavli quotes <coughs> Rav, Rav Asi and Rav, in the name of Rav Yochanan as saying that a boundary strip does not divide for Peah, but the Yerushalmi says clearly that he holds that it does. There's also a problem with Rav Zereshita, there's, so the, the point is that there's a lot of misquotes going on. So what's going on? So there are some Mepharshim that will always try to say either, well, the Gersa in the, in the Yerushalmi is wrong, which definitely has some validity to it because the manuscripts were not very well put together, especially by Bromberg. There's a lot of historical knowledge for those that have studied this. Um, Rabbi Katz, Rabbi Dr. Katz of Baltimore, had a podcast about it very recently where he mentions it briefly on the Yerushalmi. If you want, you can see there he has a lot of interesting historical parts about that based on um, you know many books that are written about it. But I just want to go global about the Yerushalmi again. I know we've talked about some of this, but also talk about the personality um, Rav Yochanan. So over the period of the 150 years after the completion of, of the Mishnayis, there are about five generations of Amoraim that flourished in the, in the Galil. Now, meaning the Torah center of the world was Eretz Yisrael. These Amoraim, many of them were actually Tanum. Remember we always talked about Rav, Tanu, Upalik. The reason is because he lived in both generations. Okay, and the dominant person there who was called basically the, you know, the, the, the Gal Hadar was Rav Yochanan. And we'll, we'll see that that's Rav Yochanan ben Nafcha, which we'll talk about. Um, he probably redacted most of Yerushalmi. Now, it's very clear that other people came after him and fixed it because there's Mahokasin about who his Rabbeim were in the Yerushalmi. There's Mahokasin about what his opinion was in the Yerushalmi. So obviously, if he wrote the whole thing, that wouldn't have gotten in there. Um, but basically, and he had a very, very tough life, which we'll talk about soon. I mean, yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. So then other people worked, after he passed away, other people um, worked on it, and the Romans basically dominated all the yeshivas of Eretz Yisrael, took it over, and the people in Eretz Yisrael basically joined the Amoram in Babel, which was um, kind of the formation of the, of, of the of a major Gullus. And then the Talmud Bavli 
was formalized and finalized over the course of the next 150 years. And then the Rabbanon Savaroy came and they put more touches on it. So again, the idea that we follow the Basra, which is the, the last thing, which is the Babli, is because a lot of the people learned from the Yerushalmi and were familiar with the Yerushalmi text and learned it there. Um, and they refined it, quite frankly. So um, that's basically some of the ideas. So let's talk a little bit about um, about Rav Yochanan. Um, many people came to Eretz Yisrael in Tiberia, where he lived, um, in order to, um, what's it called? Um, in order to learn from him. And even the um, the Nasi, Rehuda Nasiya II, who was um, Rebbe's great-great-great-grandson, he learned under Rav Yochanan. Um, and, you know, was was Mavatol himself to it, to Rav Yochanan. Um, the Gemara's we don't know much about Rav Yochanan. We know that he, the Gemara and Bracha stuff, Chafam and Aleph and the Bavli and Bal says that he came from um, Shevet of Yosef, which is very interesting because Yosef is always considered very prolific, and Rav Yochanan was extremely prolific in his writings on the Rishami. And he's called Bar Navcha, which means blacksmith. Um, Rashi and Sanhedrin uh, Daf Sadi Vavam and Aleph says um, that it actually means. Um, that he was very, very beautiful, which we know in the Gemara Bamatsiya that the way he was Makariv Rishlakish was because Rishlakish saw him and thought he was actually a woman, and he promised Rishlakish's sister uh, if he would repent and become a Torah scholar, which is what happened. Um, and they had a very tragic relationship, which is not for now. I do I do want to cover um, Rav, Yochanan, Rav Yochanan and Rishlakish and that dynamic, but this is the famous duo, Rav Yochanan and Rishlakish. Rishlakish, remember, started as a Talmud of Rav Yochanan, then ended up being a a colleague of his, which which happens sometimes from greatness. Um, he was an orphan from the time he was born. I mentioned this earlier. His father died when his mother was pregnant, and his mother died in childbirth, giving birth to him, which is an amazing thing. Uh, not terribly uncommon in some ways, but also just you know, a very tragic life. And again, we talked about how because of that opportunity, he was raised by his grandfather, and he also had a lot of rabbam that literally raised him, including the author of the Mishnayis, not the author, but the redactor of Mishnayis, which we talked about when we started this podcast. Ayin Shem at the beginning, or Tishma Shem. Um, so, um, and, you know, and, and the Gemara of Asher Mishlo Chaman, somebody who doesn't have parents, is praiseworthy, is, it, you know, refers to him. We talked about how Esther, at this time of year, um, had that same exact dynamic as well. Um, and, and that's Rav Yochan himself is the one that said it, because he himself didn't have, um, didn't have children. And, um, there's actually a very famous Gemara in Yuma about him, that, um, the famous Gemara that if a Uber Sheriha, a woman, a pregnant woman that smells on Yom Kippur, and this woman came in front of Rebbe, and he said to her, "She's." They said, "You know, this woman just smelled something delicious, and she wants to eat it." So he said, "Whisper to her that it's that it's Yom Kippur, and hopefully that'll that will uh, tell her to stop." And one woman ate, and she couldn't control herself, and she had a Russia, which again, no one should um, make any legal or halachic decisions based on this, because the halach is that if a woman's in danger, we give her food. And another woman calmed herself down, and um, in her baby. She had Rav Yochanan. That was Rav Yochanan's mother in that story. Um, Rav Yochanan actually um, held that one is not allowed to leave Eretz Yisrael, which is why he lived there for his entire life. Um, and according to Surigon in his famous Igeris, where he goes through the entire history of, of the Msora Satora, he says Rav Yochanan was a Rosh Shiva for 80 years, um, and no other Amora lived that long. Um there are other opinions in Doris Rishonim and told us to Naman Ram that say it was 60 years um, and that maybe it's a printing mistake. But either way, that's still impressive. 60 to 80 years. Um, he lost 10 children, the Gemara says in Brachos. He had 10. This is this, this is the uh, bone of my 10th child that I buried. Um, so he had a very, very tragic life. Um, we know that he definitely had a son that was quoted 
um, the very famous Rishmal ben Rabbi Yochanan. Uh, there he's called Rabbi Yochanan ben Broca, but that needs to be explained. But basically, um, there's there's a lot there's a lot there. Um, remember, even after Rish Lakish died, which was because of a story with Rabbi Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan was not the same, and that actually probably caused his death. But anyway, um, you know, Rabbi Yochanan was a a, a lion of Eretz Yisrael, and uh, many many Tanoim slash Amoraim, basically at that time period, came to learn under him in Eretz Yisrael, and you find a lot of travel between the two cities, and especially for scholarship reasons. So, uh, just at the end of the day, there are a lot of Gersos issues with the Yerushalmi, and one of the reasons there is because, just like I said, there's many different versions, and it wasn't really focused on so much. So, it's definitely understandable why differences of opinion would be there. You're you're usually going to find either people changing the Gersa to accord with the Bavli, but the fact that things or, or people trying to say hair-splitting explanations, which sometimes are very lumbish and, and, and interesting, especially in, in that concept of whether Hefker or um, or Peya halachas have some overlap. Um, and sometimes you're going to say it's just different opinions, or you know. But it's understandable how through the oppression, the Gemara says that Mahogus was Nisraba because Talmidim weren't Mishamish properly. So it'd be no this concept that because of the uh, terrible calamities and tragedies that were going on. In historically, that became very, very difficult to learn, and a lot of um, inaccuracies in the tradition have crept in. How does that impact us? Again, there is a verbal Masora, and there are halachas, and there are ways that things have been developed over the years, which is what the Bavli brings uh, to the table, just really a redaction of the basic, this is the halacha, like many of them Farshim say, um, and of course the Bavli um, had its development through the Rabbanan Savaroi, and then through the, through the early Rishonim, the Rush, the Rif, the Rambam, um, to name the few, the Rashba, of course, the Balitosis. Um, Rashi being a posig is a homochlokus. We've discussed this before. Um, the Beis Yosef seems to have two opinions on it. Sometimes he says he is a posig, sometimes he says he's not. I mean, Rashi and Shuvas is a whole different story, but Rashi and Shas, at least, um, and most most people do give him more credit, especially if he's explaining an actual Gemara. But anyway, um, the, the Stechemen has many shtickles on this as well. So the bottom line is that um, in the, the, the Bavli grounded ground and and contemplated a lot of these opinions and so that's what we have and of course it it morphed into the tour and the shulchan Aruch and all the no say and that really is uh misham yetzeh have a great day